is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from episode 58, our review of recent and ongoing studies in Nash cirrhosis. Stephen Harrison starts this conversation by discussing the reasons for dedicating an episode to cirrhosis studies, focusing on their clinical importance and potential role in the shift to NITs. He then goes on to discuss the phase three reverse trial looking at beta-colic acid. Jorn Schottenberg and Mazen Nureddin also comment on reverse. Along the way, the group discusses the optimal patient target for this kind of trial and ways to conceptualize the enormity of the task of driving a one fibrosis level reversal in a set of cirrhotic patients. Cirrhosis is an important issue for reasons ranging from severity of patient disease to unique position in the ongoing discussion about clinical endpoints. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion in our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion group. Stephen Harrison. We have a question out of the audience um, from uh, Sen Sundaram from uh, Turns, and I'd like to invite Sen to come in. Hello, how are you? Pleasure to be on the part of the audience. Good to see you. Hey, Sen, how are you? Hey, Sen. Hey, doing well. Thanks. Good to see you both. Your floor, Sen. Um, so this is a great conversation, and I think way overdue for all of us to have it. One question I have, you know, I think back to uh, my days at Intercept when PBC was still called primary biliary cirrhosis. That was, for a lot of folks, a misnomer, and there's a big effort to change that to cholangitis, the, the last letter there. As we're talking about using non-invasives for a study in a cirrhotic population, I almost think that there's a little bit of a contradiction there, right? Because I, I believe cirrhosis is defined by the histopathology, right? And is it, are we overdue for a change, not just from perhaps NAFLD to MAFLD, uh, but really thinking about, I don't, I don't know what the right term would be, end-stage liver disease as opposed to cirrhosis. Thank you for the opportunity to, to ask the question. No, that's a, that's a great question. Mazen Nureddin. I mean, end-stage liver disease sounds probably more harsh than cirrhosis because end-stage. So I don't know if I will pick that name. I think it's still fair game to call these patients cirrhotic on the natural history and what we know about about NASH because they, really their next step is they go from whatever scale you want to use, Brunt, Kleiner, if, even if you want to apply other scales, is the same histological process and eventually hypertension and they go there. So it's not unfair to call it cirrhosis when they have that histology that we see. It's a little bit different from primary biliary cholangitis. So I, I don't know if I got your question correctly, but I think we're coining them with the right terminology. Jörn Schattenberg. Yeah, you know, my take of it, Stephen, you want to go next? But my, my take of it is we, we are linking ourselves to histology in defining cirrhosis, sin, and that's what you come from. And maybe we should call it MRE high disease or something, but that disconnects it from all the clinical data and all the experience we have. You know, we have the Bavino criteria defining unlikely outcomes in these cirrhotic patients' populations. There is room to argue that we need to define our disease population by NITs, but we have to kind of stick to what we know from caring for these patients. That's why you can't totally disconnected. Maybe we can use the 6.1 that we have from the reverse data as definitive cirrhosis, not needing biopsy, eventually move to that MRE improvement as primary endpoints and patients' outcomes and all that. So it's kind of applying the NITs, replacing liver biopsy, not taking away the terminology because the terminology, the natural history is, is set in, my, in our mind. Already. Yeah, I, I think you, you, you raised a good point, Sin, and I think the way you 
Lorne and Mason are working through this is the right way to think about it. I mean, cirrhosis to me is a clinical term. It's something when we tell patients they have cirrhosis, it conjures up a sense of in-stageness that something bad is happening in their liver that needs potential immediate attention and the likelihood of having a negative outcome, whether that be death, liver transplant, liver cancer, developing complications of their disease, encephalopathy, varices, bleeding, and ascites, all kind of start to come up. Those are all clinical things, clinical discussions we have with our patient. For the, the nuances of clinical trials in patients with NASH, quantifying that degree of fibrosis, as Jorn and Mazin mentioned, with MRE, which I think is really kind of coming to the forefront as the test that is best at quantifying the severity of scar tissue and using that in the purposes of clinical trial development is probably more apropos. I think we still need that clinical word to have that discussion with our patients. Again, generally speaking, when we think of cirrhosis, we're not thinking of somebody that's walky and talky, that acts normal, that's not fatigued, that doesn't have varices. I mean, we've gotten so good at diagnosing advanced fibrosis now that we will tell patients they have cirrhosis when clinically they behave just like you and I do. Yep. And I think, Jorn, you characterize it well, right? It's trying to sort of disconnect the phenotype of a population that we're studying from the biopsy. And yeah, other alternatives could be, for example, a high-risk population or a presumed cirrhosis, right? I think we've seen a lot of studies with presumed NASH or presumed NAFL. Maybe that's another angle. But uh, yeah, I think these are all great points that you've uh, all brought up. So, Sen, let me toss one out from a completely different direction, which is I'll be a marketer for a second. One of the things I've heard since forever is all the negative valence around the word cirrhosis in the mind of the patient. They think it means they must be an alcoholic issue, they must be drunks, they have a very hard time absorbing it. I wonder if over time, rethinking the nomenclature might be patient-friendlier, forgetting about everything else. Does that make any sense to any of you guys? I mean, is end-stage liver disease a friendlier nomenclature than cirrhosis? So let me go back to Stephen's earlier comment when he was talking about our patient. When we explain histology to patients, or we try to, we talk about the term cirrhosis. The first thing I tell them, cirrhosis is not a death sentence. It's not end of life. A lot of people live where you at for many, many, many years. And then I explain to them there's A and B and C, which is the child abuse score. And you're solid A if they come with child A, of course. And then between A and B takes a long time and go to B and C. So to answer your question directly without talking too much, using the word end in general for me is not a good use of another for anything end or <laughs> one of the, the struggles I struggle when I explain to them fibrosis stage 4 and then I tell them cirrhosis, it translates to the, in their brain into stage 4 the people hear it in, in, in the TV it's like stage 4 cancer, this is bad so stage 4, stay away from it end, stay, uh, stay away from it uh, to me I'll still call it cirrhosis for me the cirrhotic term has some negative stigma related to, mostly to alcohol though, a lot will associate it with that, I'd like the term scarring I discuss the scarring of their liver with them and I refer to the skin because, you know, that's where they have scars and they know what happens. It's for sure a different thing, but I think that's when they can visualize what happens. So, Sen, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Sen. Bye, thanks. Yeah. For the sake of time, Roger, I just wanted to finish up with where we are with the trials that are currently ongoing. And, you know, there, there are three trials. If you look at clintrials.gov that are currently enrolling NASH cirrhotic 
products. And just at a high level, those are Acaro's symmetry trial with a fruxifermin, uh, which is looking at, at two different doses of drug versus placebo. It's a 36-week trial with the primary endpoint being improvement in fibrosis by at least one stage with no worsening of NASH. So there's a 36-week trial with biopsy in, biopsy out. And then we talked about the Galectin trial that's still ongoing, phase 2B3. So there's an 18-month phase 2B portion. There's an 18-month phase 3 portion. You have to have NASH cirrhosis without varices, a child's score of less than 7, and really no clinical signs of portal hypertension. The idea there is to look at two different doses of drug. This is an infusion given every two weeks compared to placebo, and you're looking at preventing the development of esophageal varices. And so uh, the primary efficacy endpoint is the proportion of patients in the bellopectin treatment groups who develop varices at 78 weeks or 18 months of treatment compared to placebo. And then finally, Alpine 4, which is an FGF19 cirrhotic trial looking at aldefermin. In that particular trial, again, you have to have a biopsy showing NASH with F4 disease. These are child's PUA patients with no history of decompensation or varices. And treatment is for 48 weeks with the primary endpoint being improvement in fibrosis by at least one stage with no worsening of NASH. So we have ultimately three trials currently enrolling, one FGF21, one FGF19, and one with velopectin, which is a Galectin-3 inhibitor. Two of these have histology as that primary endpoint point, one at 36 weeks, one at 48 weeks, and then one is a non-invasive looking at the development of varices. Maybe importantly, when we begin to focus on these NITs, particularly we've talked about MR elastography, unfortunately I don't believe any one of these have MRE being a part of the trial, which if I could just make a plea to anybody studying cirrhosis moving forward is please, please use MR elastography. That's where we have the majority of the data on outcomes. And we need to generate more of this data if we want to pivot away from a primary endpoint of histology. We really need to bring these NITs that are beginning to show promise. We need to test them and combine our data. That's another weakness of our field is we're all stovepiped and we're not focused on, hey, look, let's de-identify this data. Let's bring it all together and look at the power of what that can do relative to a non-invasive test. So it would have been nice, in my opinion, to have MR elastography. Before we discuss this question, the Gilead trial, is it phase four as well? well that's a good point. Yeah. Yep, that's right. There's the triple combo, right? Yeah. And again, it's in well-compensated yeah. F4s. I think the pill, they're going into one one pill, they're combining them. They had data that Naim presented in previous meeting about the NITs in open-label study without a placebo, as you guys all know. In that trial, are they using MR elastography? Are they collecting I, NITs? I have to double Check. It sounds the like they, because I think Naeem presented some of MRE for the... It did have MRI PDFF. It did have a fibro scan. It did not have MRE. Oh. Otherwise, I would have applied the math score on it immediately. Um, <laughs> don't know about the current design. Everyone is starting it now, so we're just getting familiarized with the protocol now. You know, just reflecting on that again, we're discussing MRE, which is technically 
immensely challenging, but in a clinical trial setting, immensely important technology, I believe, because we're just having seeing so much so much good data. The point is then how do we roll this out? So we need some additional NITs that we can link the MRE results to. And if you think in the future you have a positive trial, how do you want to translate that in real life practice? So I think in the clinical trial setting, it's great, but we need additional NITs alongside. Yeah, and the MRE is, I don't want to complicate things. It has its own complications in terms of interpretation and the longitudinal movement. A lot of things that needs to be considered. For instance, if you're defattening the liver, you have to take volume change in consideration and relative to the MRE. I had this fascinating conversation with Becky Taub the other day about MRE changes and the volume changes. If we get it correctly, it will be true representation of decreased fibrosis that the regulation like overall stiffness of the liver in a more universal way that will correlate with outcome eventually. So, you know, the other thing is it is expensive for sure. That's one consideration that has to be taken uh, as you develop these trials is the cost of doing that. Uh, there aren't other non-invasive tests like ELF that may be helpful in this particular context in obtaining serum where things like Pro-C3 and ELF and the components of ELF can be looked at and maybe even looked at in combination or sequentially with some of these imaging modalities. In the right setting, if you have even fiber scan in this population of patients where you combine it with maybe another NIT like an ELF score, I think could be very helpful. So I don't want to just harp on MR elastography. I like MRE because of what we've seen relative to long-term outcomes. And if there was a chance for an NIT to quickly work its way into the vernacular of a primary endpoint, I think MRE has that potential in a well-compensated F4 population study. One quick thing, also in addition to the ELF and these tests, so like we're complete and no one be left out. There are tests that measure function. Greg Averson, he worked on that technology. I think studying liver function is great. There are metabolomics, proteomics, metabolomics. There are data that, for instance, from OWL, they looked at not just the NASH component, they have fibrosis component. So to your own point, enriching NITs and correlating it with MRE other than the famous ones such as ELF and NIST4 and DOS and FAST and the new scores, the newcomers are very promising and we should include those in the formula as well. So we're kind of at the bottom, of the, in fact, we're a little bit past the bottom of the hour. Louise, I don't even know because I can't see and I can't hear you. I, I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to add or, or any thoughts or questions. Louise Campbell. No, I just thought it was a, a fascinating discussion and when I was listening to the guys there, I was just thinking there was a very good poster done on hepatic vein portal gradient based risk stratification in patients with compensated NAFLD cirrhosis, which was basically saying very much where the conversation went, which was if you can look at where the cutoff is, where you get the outcomes and mortality, then maybe we can find resolution to NAFLD and NASH or the outcomes before we actually meet the primary endpoints for the FDA. That showed that less than 10 for portal pressure, you had very little mortality. But once you got 10 to 15, it increased and again, greater than 16. So maybe we're going to get to this by looking at the outcomes before we look at the improvement in fibrosis and resolution of NASH, because the outcomes and resolving those or improving them. And if I'm a patient, I want you to improve my varices. I don't want to get them. I want those endpoints that affect my quality of life to be resolved before 
you necessarily show that you resolve my gnash because yes that affects my quality of life but it's everything else around it that predict what's going to happen to me so I thought it was a fascinating discussion that poster by Raphael Paternostro summed up where certainly a lot of the discussion went I would have liked to have seen some NITs used on this so where was the cutoff this for fibre scan MMRE on the portal vein pressure gradients but then we can put it into more routine clinical practice I think that's a long way to go but I enjoyed the discussion it was great thanks Louise and I have one quick thought before we get a closing question Stephen I've heard you use the term stovepiped forever and today's the day I understood what you're talking about which is it's a bit of a prisoner's dilemma if I only do what's best for me and I don't have a lot of money I do the most efficient tests that I know exactly what they are and I don't worry about developing knowledge the profession kinds of would have it go another way and somehow on a prisoner's dilemma you win by having everybody work together and if you don't then everybody kind of fails here it's an interesting question how you drive that process forward all three of you guys are doing a lot of work on that and so are some other people with that final question if we have this conversation again in six months what's the most important thing that would be different brave one go first you want to suggest you or lose be brave because steven mazner and me right now roger i just want to interrupt so i've got i got naeem al on the phone here he is the principal investigator of the combo trial in well compensated cirrhotics with sima uh naeem can you hear us uh, yes, yes. Are we talking about the Gilead with Novo tribe? Yes. Yes. So the question that came up from that trial, and today's episode is on cirrhosis, and we were talking about the trials currently enrolling. Mazen reminded us that there was the ongoing trial with SIMA, the ACC inhibitor, and the FXR. So what we couldn't remember was were specific NITs being obtained in that trial, such as MR elastography? Uh, no, they're not doing MR elastography. I think it has to do with the cost more than anything else. So it's going to be a biopsy study. And the primary endpoint is improvements in fibrosis. Okay. That's what we, we were, we were, one of the things we commented on was that MRE apparently is not being included in any of the ongoing trials in cirrhosis. And one of the reasons is cost, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a missed opportunity also. You know, also they have their own combination trial, and that includes some cirrhotics and uh, as far as I know, there's no MRE in that one as well. Yeah. Well, super. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us thanks, for one, one quick call. Appreciate it, <laughs> <Okay>. man. <laughs> Good to hear you, Naeem, and great move, Steve. Great save, Stephen, and awesome. So, Stephen, that is the prisoner's that is the prisoner's dilemma, right? The reason we don't do it is because of cost. There you go. Okay, have this conversation in six months. What'll be different? You know, my hopes are we'll get more people interested in that really advanced patient population. Early cirrhotics have invested into that arena where there's a medical need, and we might have more interesting MOIs mechanisms, action MOAs being explored. So maybe more trials on the way. Uh, beyond the ones these Stephen mentioned. Okay, thanks. Next. I'm just going to jump in and say, hopefully, after listening to this episode, somebody might find a way to resolve this cost solution for MRE in clinical trials so that we can see more of it included. Well, I, you know, I will just say, look, I, I'm excited there are people studying cirrhotics. That is sorely needed. It's something that, as a community, we all want to develop a therapy for. What I'd like to see is take these lessons learned about the variability of liver biopsy and the complications of trying to show improvement in people who have developed portal hypertension. We've got that part down. We know we've got to study early 
cirrhotics, if we want to see an initial benefit, whether it's NIT or whether it's a histopathologic benefit. But I, I think where we need to not be myopic is we need to do everything we can collectively to use our NITs that we're developing to help us bridge beyond a biopsy. And, you know, you don't have to answer this all by yourself. We can collect the data and we can combine the data in a fraternity of sorts to begin to analyze collectively through the power of combination data sets, through meta-analyses, what, what's really happening with NITs relative to this data set. But we can't do it if we don't collect the data. I'll end there. Maybe Mazen has additional comments. I mean, along the same line, I think six months you're not going to see much. You're probably going to see one other company adopting MRE in their study if they are starting clinical trial in cirrhotic. In one year, I would like to see more data in ITs, as Stephen said, correlating them. I want to know how much MRE, ELF, PROC3 correlate with one stage improvement. So as the PATH AI and HISTO index, I want to get the details how much movement we get with all of those with one stage improvement. And I want to emphasize that's not the goal eventually because the FDA is saying study it with outcome. But before we go there, we need to know these details. And then eventually these NITs, how they correlate their improvement with improvement in outcome. They correlate very well with worsening. Now worsening those need to worsening outcome. We want to see it, as I say, the other side of the freeway coming improvement. How much is that and quantify so we can use it as primary endpoint, hopefully with cirrhosis at one point. So I'll, I'll give that a year or two to get there and we'll move hopefully beyond the biopsy, which will make Donna happy. You'll make Donna happy. Which will make Donna very happy. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, December 1st, with our next episode, in which we review last month's landmark consensus paper on the global NAFLD epidemic with lead author Jeff Lazarus. If you want to join the live audience Monday, November 29th at 3.15 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, email surflive, that's S-U-R-F-L-I-V-E, at surfingnash.com with a request, and we will send back a link to serve as your admission ticket. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe. If you're in the States, have a happy Thanksgiving and catch your blessings. And we'll see you all on the podcast next week. Mm-hmm.